Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Hunter. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Brian. Yes? Before we get too far into the show. Okay. Did you see this whole thing from E3 with Bethesda and the Skyrim Very Special Edition? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Of course, it's got it's got Keegan Michael Key in it. Yes. <laughs> well, did did you also know that that's real? Yes, I did know it's real. I was very I tempted. Know, I I got <laughs> it. I got it, and I played it for fifteen minutes and got so lost. I was like, this <laughs> this is amazing. But like, I could totally see this as a new like text adventure version of like an RPG, choose your own adventure thing. Like, it was pretty cool. Oh wow. Uh, wait, so do you have an Echo, or did you use the app, or... No, I've got an Echo. It's in our kitchen, so I, like, oh. I, I told it. I told Amazon to go <laughs> ahead and install the Skyrim Very Special Edition, and when I got home, I forgot about it for a second. I was telling my roommate, and I was like, we should go check this out. And so I, 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 started, I started playing. I think I leveled up to, like, level 5 or something like that, and I increased some of my skills... Like it's a it's a full on like adventure. It's uh it's actually pretty cool. I can see people going on like long like road trips or something like that because you can get the app for your phone and just like oh. you know you you've got like an hour commute to work. You just play a little Skyrim on the road. Do you have to have an Echo to get the app, or can is the app? I'm no, you can just that. have the app on your phone. I'm gonna have to look that up the, because uh, yeah, the Alexa app. Scott, did you see this? Uh, did you see this uh, this very special Skyrim video that we're talking about? I did, in fact. Okay. Uh, Folks, we have a guest this week joining us from Charlottetown in Prince Edward Island, Canada, Scott McCollum, the lead developer of the game we're talking about, Remnant. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. One last thing. I'm going to have to try the Skyrim thing. Folks, if you haven't seen it, basically Bethesda made fun of themselves by making a video with the amazing Keegan-Michael Key with Skyrim on and um, Amazon Echo, totally voice activated, and it's the funniest. It's so funny. Yeah, but joke was on us. They actually made it. Like I couldn't <laughs> believe. Like when someone linked to the Amazon link, I was like, "Holy crap! It's real! That's, it's great!" Now I want to see if they're going to do it for the pagers and the uh, and the smart refrigerators. <laughs> Well, someone someone on Reddit was talking about how like they have Alexa integration with their thermostat, and they're like, "Well, I guess I can play <laughs> Skyrim on my thermostat." What what a time to be alive, ladies and gentlemen! <laughs> eventually, eventually, we're just going to have smartwatches with Skyrim on them. <laughs> going to be walking around Fusroda into our wrist. <laughs> <laughs> But we're not here to talk about Skyrim, folks, even though if you have, again, if you haven't seen the very special Skyrim video from Bethesda from the E3, you should look it up. It's freaking hilarious. Um, it is really good. Yeah, I know. We're here to talk about Remnant, the uh, very unique-looking 4X that is currently in its second Kickstarter. And congratulations, this much more modest second Kickstarter was successful within... Just a few days, maybe about a week, right? It's actually, I think, less than twenty-four hours. I hit the goal. no. That's forever. now. I gotta, I gotta applaud you because it's it's rare to see a Kickstarter with such a modest goal. Your goal was 
just a few hundred dollars, right? If I'm remembering correctly, yeah, seven hundred and fifty Canadian. So whatever it translates to your local currency. I think it was about four hundred something, five hundred something American. Um, but yeah, that is incredibly modest. And I, I gotta say, when you see a goal that's that low, it, it kind of instills. I don't know if anyone told you this, but to me, it's like it instills kind of a confidence. Like, oh, I don't need a lot to finish this. So just help me get over that finish line. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's just a little bit of 2D art that I really need. Right, because – so you let's, – let's go back a little bit. You did have a first Kickstarter. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, three years ago. Okay, three years ago. Yeah. There's so many Kickstarters I can't even keep track. I'll be honest with you. Um, so you had a Kickstarter three years ago. I'll be I'll be honest. I did back that one. I'm just gonna say. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> but that one sadly was not successful. But you've still been working on the game since then. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm too stubborn to quit on something I enjoy. So that's the reason. And now you're back with a second Kickstarter with a much more modest goal, and you've already made. What three, four times? Your it's your actually goal? higher than the old one got to, so I'm very no, happy. it isn't. It is. No, it is. I'm very, very thankful for everyone that's. Oh my gosh! Me. Well, that's 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 kind of hilarious, but also kind of wonderful. So yay! <laughs> maybe the economy's better. Maybe because you asked yeah, for less maybe, people are like, maybe. hey, well, that's that's great. No, I, I did not. Um, that's that's great, but let's talk about the game itself. Uh, Remnant is different. It's a four X, but folks, before you start groaning, going, "Oh God, another one, another Master of Orion clone." It no, is exactly. It is not. It is not. Why don't you give us the rundown of your game? Like, give us like the elevator pitch, bullet point thing of your game. Sure, sure. So it is definitely not a Master of Orion clone at all. I'm trying to be as different as possible in that regard. I feel like a lot of those games fail to really recapture Master of Orion because it you get that feeling of, I've already done this before. And so Remnant is really trying to engage you on a, a personal level where all of the colonies have meaning to you. It's not just 300 random worlds that you don't care about it's set in a single planetary system so that there's only a handful of worlds to actually get to so these worlds will all have meaning in the sense that you grow up with them sort of in the way that you know pluto you know people get so passionate about pluto is it a planet is it not a planet i'm trying to have that sort of emotional connection with these worlds in a way that you know a giant star uh, galaxy with hundreds of stars thousands of stars you just can't do so that's it that's the main goal is like a, a very emotionally connected small scale as an empire size game yeah i have to admit that's one thing i'm very intrigued by this game is a lot of these um a lot of these four x's are galactic in scale multiple solar systems multiple planets you know mm-hmm per solar system, yada, yada, yada. And you're right. They do start feeling just like dots you build a farm on. But you're, exactly. Yeah, but but you're not only going to have 
you kind of have a much zoomed in focus, which I think is fascinating. Like, it's not just one M- one faction owns an entire planet. You c- you can only you can have multiple factions on a planet. Am I was I am I remembering that right? That, I re- that's a hundred percent correct. Right. So there are multiple factions, and you don't own the whole planet. You can only have like a continent or half a continent, even. And right, exactly. And so the space that you, the sec and there's it's is it sectors or is it yeah on the pla- it's sectors are the regions around space that you colonize or around a planet sorry that you colonize. right but right and they determine what you can what you can how much you can build on a planet plus how much you can have in orbit right exactly Am I the, right. okay that, it, yeah you're it's a a sector is basically imagine there's a planet and then around every planet there's a certain amount of sectors depending on its size so like an asteroid might have four sectors around it whereas you know earth would have eight ten twelve and something like jupiter could have you know 20 but you might not be able to colonize jupiter in that sense but you could still station ships in orbit around those points so something like earth with 10 sectors let's say opens the possibility for 10 potential colonies instead of whoever gets to earth first wins right it's trying to avoid that semantic in uh, because of the smaller single planetary system scale, whereas like I understand why in galactic scale forex games, whoever gets that planet takes the whole planet, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense if you even look at Earth, right? Like a single two thousand person colony ship landing on a barren Earth, you you don't own the whole Earth just from landing one ship. No, there. you own you own Pennsylvania, basically. You exactly, own exactly. you own New York, you know, basically. <laughs> if that, so exactly. I actually, so that's I actually, what no, I actually kind of like that because it means you can have on one planet you can have multiple factions vying for the same space, and you can have factions battling it out for these sectors on individual planets. Right? Exactly. Is that right? Oh, wow. Is there going to be ground combat? Or is it just space combat? It's just space combat. Mainly for ease of gameplay because it's real Fair. time. So all of these combat sectors oh, crap. are happening all at the same time. Oh, crap. Really? Yeah. So if you if you get in a bad war and you've made too many enemies and right, you had to fight on four fronts simultaneously. So... How do you how do you manage that as a player? Do you have like AI for your fleets? Can you give them like general orders and they'll just try to handle the battle as best they can? Do you have to individually ma- do you pause and switch and go back and switch? Like how do you how do you manage that? Sure. So it's it's small in scale on purpose in all regards. So you're not managing like 200 ships individually per battle. It would be 4 to 6 maybe. They'll all fly and act independently without you, but you can obviously come in and, and queue up orders or or deploy what I call tactical abilities. And um, so so you you want to focus on certain areas for sure. Like I've thrown four ships at this sector. There's only one defender, so I'll just ignore the sector and let the AI play out this for me. And focus on the one where it's four on four, and like I need to deploy my abilities at the right time and give proper orders, sort of thing. Mm. Is there going to be like a ticker or a picture-in-picture picture type thing where you can kind of monitor what's going on in other battles as you're in an, a different you one? You can jump between the sectors within a, a blink of an eye, no problem. 
Oh, okay. Uh, there's not. There's no picture in picture. No, I haven't thought of that. Maybe I could. I could come up with something like that. But that wasn't on the table as of right now. So, is there, are there going to be like icons for each battle, and you can quickly switch between each one? Is that like something like that? Maybe. Like, is that what yeah, we're talking? Yeah. About? Okay. Good. You have. There's. There's. Uh. The UI. I haven't shown a lot of the UI off because there's a lot of small assets that are missing. And so I don't really like showing off, uh, let's say, half of it looks complete and the other half looks like a complete mess. So, But basically, the UI, sort of like Stellaris with the outlier, outliner thing on the right, it it has that sort of feel where you can just look at, at a glance at what you need, click, and your camera will just go to that view instantaneously. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a few few games that have that. That's a good mechanic to have. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite things about Stellaris. Is Yeah, so basically the UI in Remnant is that entirely. It takes up a slightly bigger portion of your screen, but your camera will pan over to you know, share the view with the UI there. And you can open and close it as you see fit, but you just give all your commands in that little window right there. Oh. Not, it's, it's not so little. It, it takes up about a third of the screen. Whereas Stellaris is like you know fifth to a sixth. You know what, what's what's interesting is like Stellaris always thought did it very well in the sense that it organized things by like here's your here's your planets here's your fleets here's your whatever. I always got frustrated with something like uh, Sins of a Solar Empire, for example, like on the left hand side because it would like put everything in each system. So like here's one system and here is the list of all the ships you have in that right, system, and I'm just right. like. Jesus, this is overwhelming. But like having having it nice and just like compact, where it's just like click on what you want to see, and then we'll expand that. I, I like that uh, approach. That's a, that's exactly what what I'm going for. It, it's yes. broken down by areas of interest like that, rather than here's everything, as you said. Oh, that's good because yeah, Sons of the Solar Empire's UI is great at first. You're like, wow, this is cool. Then you're like the mid game. Yeah. You're like, oh, kill me. Just kill me now. Uh, I I quite literally ignore the stuff on the left-hand side where it's got everything because it's like I'd rather just scroll out at a glance and see everything yeah. and try and like – It's a mess. It's – it's it, 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 it gets cumbersome, right, as the game goes on. I think that's true of a lot of 4X games. Mm-hmm. As you get further and further, you just like – you don't want to play because you're fighting the UI as much as you are your enemies. Yeah. Actually, can I delegate this to somebody? <laughs> Yeah, that's one reason I love Distant Worlds is because it like lets you manage the UI as you see fit, but it also has AI to manage different things as well. So, uh, I, at some point, I'm like, when did Distant Worlds get a better UI than Sins of a Solar Empire? Right. <laughs> but I've never been frustrated in the mid in the mid game with Distant Worlds like I have been with Sins, where it's like, oh god, I'm just gonna scroll out and look at everything. It's the only way to do this properly. <laughs> Eventually, in sense, you just stop caring. You just like box the whole planet and just send everything at the other planet, right? You just I don't right. care about these ships anymore. Gotta <laughs> get off my UI. But that's something you're going to be trying to work against in Remnant. You're going to try and make uh, instead of ships just being cannon fodder, um, you want every ship to be an individual asset that actually like means something. Exactly. That that's the that's really the whole overarching goal of everything in the game. I want everything to mean something 
to the player themselves, whether they build their own little story about it or it's like this is just a very important resource because I put so much time into it, whether it's that emotional connection or like game uh, connection, I, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, not a lot of games do that. Like, I think, um, did you ever play the Kohan games? Uh, which ones? No. Kohan. No, no, not so they're great. they're amazing real time strategy games. They're fantasy, but they you don't have individual units. You have like regiments that you build with other units. So each regiment is like your custom little creation. So you actually give a crap about like, oh, how's that one doing? How's that one doing? You know? Right. Yeah, whereas like a total war, it's just hundreds of anonymous regiments. You mean exactly? Or most four X games where it's like, oh, this fleet has. Just uh, whatever ships. Who cares? Oh, they have an admiral. Right. Like, oh, they throw in an admiral to try to make you care. But it's like, eh. an admiral is just like, oh, plus, t- plus two to weapons. <laughs> in exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to avoid. Especially when, like, the names are, like, Beam Cruiser 342, right? Oh, like, that's the default yeah. name when it comes out <laughs> of the factory. Yeah, because, like, no, these ships should have crews and captains and, like individualities you know like in star trek for example exactly exactly i want you controlling the enterprise not you know random uss nothing yeah like the hood like the hood 12 you know or the the, the defiant 18 yeah you want to avoid that kind of that's exactly what i'm trying to avoid because it's so unengaging as a player to me at least to play games like that where you're just throwing these ships away and i get this sense of like on a galactic scale the emperor wouldn't really care but then they always flip it's like why am i planning these food uh, farms and mines individually, right? It's like I'm focused on the wrong scope here. I shouldn't be managing the city and ignoring my thousands of ships. It should be the other way around. It should be delegating the the city development to someone and managing my my massive fleet of death machines, right? Like that that's what I feel the Space Emperor would do. Yeah, like there are a couple of games that try to be more space emperory and they don't give you all this control over your fleets or your colonies or whatever. Uh and that's I think the right way to do it. Like if I'm an emperor, why am I planting a farm? Why am I Exactly. Des- why am I designing a ship? I'm an emperor. I'm not an admiral. <laughs> I'm not a <laughs> you, you delegate those tasks to people that are competent at them while you, you know, rule with an iron fist. That's the whole point of being the emperor. Right. So in this game, you're not an emperor. You're a faction leader. And right. Yeah. So you have that kind of personal connection with the people in your faction, it sounds like. Exactly. Exactly. So basically, there are no resources in the traditional sense of like hmm. food or or, or or space crystals, right? Whatever invented <laughs> thing. Space crystals, yeah. Well, right, like they always have that one magic resource, dilithium the and stuff, yeah, unobtainium, exactly. whatever. Yeah, exactly. So those resources don't exist, uh, at least in the point where it's exposed to the player. You don't care they have three thousand nine hundred forty-two food this turn. So everything is done through agents and um, colony programs. 
and agents uh, are workers, subordinates to you. They all have like a unique face, a unique name, and they all have RPG like stats, like, you know, leadership or, or science or things like that that decide how good they are. And your colonies develop through programs, which you as the leader, emperor, whatever you're, you're role playing as basically delegate a task for this emp- for this colony to complete such as research that's an important program or building a new ship or quelling a, a uprising on the colony developing you know financial infrastructure things like that so that you still make these decisions like you're building sort of but it doesn't feel like farm number 32 right Right. Like, oh, I have to build oh. another farm or another exactly. lab or exactly. another factory. Exactly. Yeah. So the goal is to give these colonies sort of ide- uh, identities to you, right? Like in, in, I use the Star Wars example all the time where it's like Endor has a unique feel to it compared to Tatooine, which has a unique feel to it, Right. It's not just another forest world or another desert world. You know, Tatooine's a, a, a corrupt, scummy place run by gangsters. And, and Endor's that little hidden outpost that the Empire doesn't want people to find. And so I'm trying to give identities to colonies in that sort of way by making the programs decide how the colony develops and, and what like inner workings come about from those programs and it might not be presented to the player like here's plus 10 food per turn but like people can starve if you just ignore your agriculture industry or or you don't start a, a food rationing program or something like that and the results of those programs is directly related to the agents that run them so if you put a really bad science person on the lead new technology you're trying to unlock they will just take forever and cost you a fortune compared to someone more competent. And so when you have these really well-developed, leveled-up agents, losing them is just heartbreaking to your empire and to you as the player. It's not just like this person who means nothing to me died. It's this person I've played the game with for four hours and has been my chief researcher and unlocked all these technologies for me was just assassinated, right? And now I want to go after the empire or faction that killed them. So I, I, there's that personal connection, emotional connection. You feel something or, to your empire rather than everything's just anonymous. So is there like espionage in the way like you can have one of your top scientists be assassinated like is that absolutely absolutely. oh wonderful wonderful everything is tied into those agents and so they can be killed they can die in battle they can be kidnapped and then like bargained with in diplomacy they can just be straight out assassinated and they actually have like reputations amongst the factions themselves so if you, say, send a certain person as a diplomat over and over and over again, that person sort of builds a rapport with the other faction you're bargaining with. 
and which might you know come in handy later in other negotiations or might make that person a target for a third faction who is sick of you know Joe being so good uh, so close to his enemies right right oh so so, so yeah sorry oh. yes there is espionage you can send Yay. agents on Yay. on all sorts of missions like kidnapping uh, assassinating just just regular spying regular uh, sabotage to like slow down the other person's programs reconnaissance you know trying to wheel and deal and buy secrets to see where they might have uh colonies set up on little hidden sectors you don't quite know about things like that so espionage was huge it was is one of the cornerstones of the game that i, I needed to have in because i feel like a lot of 4x games just kind of painted on at the end and hope for I was, the best i know oh my god i know i was gonna say so many games don't get espionage right it's oh you stole a blueprint from uh from a dude from this empire it's like but with you making the game so personal you open up all these avenues of espionage from blackmail to kidnapping to sabotage to right all kinds of great stuff and because those agents are like developed and experienced over the course of the game kidnapping or assassinating a high level eight enemy agent you know, sets back their whole research program or their whole factory construction or spaceship construction, right? Because that person was leading those programs and because of their stats or the attributes, RPG-like attributes, um, they're no longer as efficient at running those programs because they literally don't have the person to do it anymore. They put all of their time and energy into developing, you know, Joe Smith to do it. That uh, I'm loving this more and more. So another thing that a lot of 4X games don't get right, but with the personal aspect of this one, uh, I'm kind of intrigued, is politics, diplomacy. Um, mm-hmm. With so many 4X games, it's like, I'd like to make a trade agreement. All right. I'm going to declare war on you. All right. But like, it sounds like with a game like this, you open up quite a bit more in the way of options for diplomacy when you have personal agents diplomats that sort of thing right so uh, exactly um the diplomacy and relations works at both the empire and agent level oh, so wow. like obviously yeah if you declare war on someone and like bomb their colonies they're gonna hate you right just you in general not one specific person but if like say Jean-Luc Picard you send out to attack this person over and over and over again and he's raiding their ships or whatever and that person's the Borg the Borg will come and hunt down specifically Jean-Luc Picard oh that's not great not necessarily just your empire and, oh my and god the idea is to have like some banter in there right some game events and messages where it's like they're coming for him to help build this little story of this this little micro story right of Jean-Luc Picard in this situation but yeah you can just piss people off right if you raid with Jean-Luc Picard you don't want to then send Jean-Luc Picard as the diplomat right like that's just gonna end poorly but it it also sounds like it opens the possibility of things like bounty hunting and whatnot like yeah yeah they will definitely target specific agents right if they if they wrong them and they might then 
specifically capture them instead kid kill them so that they can use it against you right well you raided with this guy now we have him what are you going to give us for him now let me ask you this because i don't think any forex game has done this can you have defections like can yes Yes. oh oh yeah so so you can uh, you can both as an espionage option try to recruit someone to get them to defect as you your enemy can do that too but also game events might trigger an agent to defect if like a combat goes horrendously wrong and you lose an entire fleet that you shouldn't lose you know uh, you an admiral might leave and go join the enemy because clearly you're incompetent for letting that happen and because that's... that person has been leveled up and developed that's a huge blow to your empire and likewise if you get someone, right, you screw over the other person, and now you have this really well-developed, competent agent to put to work. That <laughs> I, I'm kind of all a flutter because, like, <laughs> so, like, I can only think of a few games. Like, maybe, did you ever play Seven Kingdoms? I did not. No. Well, that game has us. That game has amazing espionage. Like, I once had a. Uh, a spy recruited into there and a, an enemy's army. And then they got promoted to general and then they eventually right. got promoted. Then they got eventually got promoted to King. And I was able <laughs> to just take, I was just able to take over that empire just by switching them. Right. But then yeah, you have a game I, like, sorry, God. Nope. Nope. Go ahead. But then you have a game like, um, star Wars rebellion in which you have characters. That's my favorite for X game of all time. Oh, I am. You it's up, be like it's up there you. for me too. <laughs> oh no, it's up there for me too. It's it's really quirky and trying to play it on a modern display is not the easiest thing because it's it hurts your eyes really it's, bad. <laughs> it's so locked in that six forty by four eighty. It's yeah. like oh god. But like back in the day, even like kind of today, there's no other game that really like the closest might be Crusader Kings, you know, that mm-hmm. does what it did. You know, and, and yeah, you, you got to do Rebellion all these amazing. Oh my god! Yeah, no, sorry. Rebellion was a huge influence on me as a as a gamer and a player, and I I just feel like the stories you get out of Rebellion compared to any other four X game is, is night and day, right? Like you're sending Han Solo to do something, and and he gets captured, and now you need to send Luke to rescue him, right? And Luke has his own little journey where he has to run away to Dagobah and and hang out with Yoda for a bit. So you lose him as a competent leader before he comes back better than ever. It's just, there's so such little micro stories woven throughout the game as you play that you personally build in that sense of like, I've sent Han to do this. I got Han captured. Not so much, you know, random agent random espionage number 32 guy failed right i don't care yeah it's it's a real shame we're probably never going to get any kind of modern remake of of that game because i think the only way to play it properly is probably on a 640 by 480 crt yeah yeah, probably (laughs) it really hurts your eyes if you try to play now i've I've done it a couple times and and like if you're on windows 8 or 10 it's like reversed or something like yeah, I tried to play yeah. multiplayer with with our co-host Jim, and like he could we could he couldn't play it because it was flipped. <laughs> it's like it's like some old games just don't 
do well with more modern systems, and that sadly is one of them. Because I would love to be able to tell people you need to play Rebellion, but like if you didn't play it back then, you're probably not going to be able to get into it now, which yeah, is absolutely. just just a damn it's a shame. shame. It's a shame. I agree. Such a shame. Oh my god. One of my favorites. Oh, but it sounds like you're 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 really trying to make not a Star Wars successor, but like your own kind of successor. Um, yeah, it, it definitely influenced me the way you played that game through agents, basically through the, right. the hero characters. The characters, yeah, that's right. So that's exactly what I want. Except instead of you know Han Solo, you get someone randomly generated, but then for the rest of your game, this person is Han Solo to you in that regard right. that you've personally developed them as like a shady smuggler or what have you. So since you don't have uh, the Star Wars lore to draw on, what is the backstory for your game? Um, so basically there's no FTL in faster than light uh, travel. So if, if we were to colonize a, another star now today, us, Right, we'd basically be just sending them, and then good luck. Right, we would never hear from them ever again, most likely, if they were ten light years away. Right, that's a twenty twenty year round trip just to say hello. So he basically just abandoned them, and that's basically the premise of Remnant: is that a non FTL society has sent a ship out to colonize, and then so many generations later, after they've set up their initial colonies, right, this just sort of branch out naturally. And then things will just splinter from there. So that's that's the premise for Remnant. It's it's kind of a shame that a lot more games don't incorporate this lack of FTL into their gameplay because like it could make you don't have to have the whole universe to have engaging stories. Like Firefly did it, The Expanse does it, you know, where you don't have FTL but you have still have this multi layered world, and it's it's. It's it's kind of a shame there are more games that do that. I think they're all like yeah. I, I like hard sci-fi. Like my, Remnant's not like super strict hard sci-fi, right. but I like lack of FTL sort of sci-fi. It, it tells more intimate stories and and it avoids a lot of the instantaneous magical appearance of rescue right and stuff like that. Right, like that's one of the things that makes things like Firefly and The Expanse so engaging. It's like there's no magic warp drive or jump drive that'll get you there to re- to be the big hero. You gotta wait. Right, <laughs> you, exactly. You exactly. need time to get to where you're going to do what you need to do. And there's gonna be and delay that, in communications. <laughs> and that plays into a lot of the gameplay of Remnant because Ooh. if you take a colony on the, uh, let's say, Pluto, right on, uh, to use our solar system as an example, if you were to colonize Pluto to come rescue people on Earth, you know the earth is dead by the time you could possibly make it there (laughs) so it's the same sort of thing you need to really be strategic on where you put your colonies things are moving right compared to i think most 4x games even most space 4x games the map is very static in that regard but here everything's moving orbiting right, right following all of kepler's laws of motion so what might be you know a 10 minute trip in game time uh, an hour ago now will take you 45 minutes because you're on the other side of the system after so much orbit time. Oh, geez. 
Yeah. So and- you need to ta- tactically plan where these colonies are going, when they'll be in alignment, when they won't be in alignment. But you can use that strategically, right? Uh, the planet, let's say Mars and Earth, are going to align in the next 20 minutes. Then game time, t- 20 minutes, I mean. Uh, let me build a, a small attack force because I know I'll be able to surprise Earth by attacking from Mars when these planets are fairly close to each other. Whereas an hour from now, game time again, they'll be on the opposite ends and it, it, no surprise would be possible because it would take so long to travel. Right, but you're not, I mean, for planets and stuff, you're adhering to um, a more realistic hard sci-fi, but it doesn't sound like you're doing that for like spaceship movement and and combat and stuff like that because no it's 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 all like the oh it's a little bit fancy um right. the, you'll get about 1g acceleration traveling through the the system but like the game mm. time itself is sped up so it's not like right you know you wouldn't take days and days of real life time to get across the system right but you're also not like i'm saying you're also not calculating orbital paths and whatnot oh no 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 there's there's some space magic for just floating right. in orbit okay. and stuff like that you you just shoot a straight line for the most part you're not like doing uh gravity slingshots and stuff like that yeah because i don't know if you've played um children of a dead earth i have not but i've heard very good things about it's it. it's amazing and that's exactly what you do you you do slingshots and plot courses and it's like full realistic space combat and i loved it and i was terrible at it so you got to have yeah, a little I, bit I, of like you said magic to, yeah, uh, there's a little space to make it playable. Yeah. there's so many sectors for you to worry about at the same time uh, it would just be too much Whereas I feel like if it was just statically focused on one battle, that would work, the orbital mechanics. But because I want, like, multiple fronts at the same right. time, I, I, I went a little space magic there in that regard. That's totally fair. You got to keep it playable, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That trumps everything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so tell so your game is totally in real time, um, mm-hmm. but you're able to po- – I'm hoping you're able to pause it, please. You're right. You're able to Right now, you are not, but I have oh. my cave to pressure on that. Oh, I'm please. a big StarCraft player, so I'm very oh. comfortable making real-time decisions, but I know oh. a lot of people aren't. So there might be pause for sure added, but probably not time controls, like you know, half speed, two times speed. Because I want to capture that feeling of you have to make a decision on where you go and what you focus on rather than you can just do everything all at once. But I know a lot sure. of people don't like that high, I don't want to say too high APM actions per minute. Um, yeah, that, that, can cause anxi- that can cause anxiety and stress. Right? <laughs> I know, but that, that's the point a bit, right? In that you are reacting to these situations. These are personal people. You have to pick, does John die or does Bill die? Because you can only be in one sector at one, a time. Maybe maybe you make it like a thing that you choose at the beginning of a game. Like, this is going to be a fully real-time game. Or this is going right. to be a pausable game. And that's that's when you have that option. And that's it. That's probably a good, uh, happy medium. Yeah, that way if someone wants to pause, they can do it. But if they don't and they want that pressure, you know, they can have that too. They can't, they can't get out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you live with it. Exactly. And, it, and they might find they prefer to have a pause and then they have that option. Or they might prefer – they might learn that they prefer the – you know, or they might I, – I think it's good to give the player a choice. So I think mm-hmm. that's probably no, – I, I agree. I agree that highly customizable experiences are much more enjoyable than – 
right. non highly customizable experience. Yeah, exactly. So, what kind of factions are uh, we looking at for this game? Do we have like the sciencey, like a lot of forex games? You have the warlike guys and the sciencey guys and the tradey guys and the mm-hmm. like. Are you going to have more shades of gray? Like how? Tell me about the factions. Uh, that part's is still a bit up in the air. I haven't really locked down final designs for that stuff. I I agree that the, you know the merchant guys and the war guys and the whatever else guys is a little cliche so i would like to avoid that a bit but at the same time it's a bit of a trope that people enjoy because then when they play the war faction they they get in that mindset of i want to be the conqueror versus when they play the merchant they want to be the economist right so i like that trope and i don't like that trope but i'm a bit wishy-washy on that so i'm not a hundred percent set on factions just yet like, are there going to be role playing elements to the fact? Like you said, there are role playing elements to the agents. Are going to be there going to be role playing elements to the, to the overall factions as well? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, good, the, good, the, good. the colony programs you can run will change depending on your faction, right? If you're like a super slave trading people, right? You're not going to be running. Let's all be friends to each other, kind of programs, that sort of thing. Whereas like warmongers would have more militaristic, right? Like forced conscription or something like that would be a colony program. Maybe uh, slavers would have, right? Like get to work and build this ship really, really fast or or we'll come down to the colony and make sure you do sort of thing. So there will definitely be that aspect to it. Now, are there going to be like illegal activities that, you can engage in like slavery, piracy, uh, contraband smuggling, that sort of thing. Are, are there going to be things you can engage with and within certain with certain characters, perhaps? Or as um, like, I don't, I don't know if the, that's the right way to phrase it because as the leader, right? Are you really violating your regulations? True. True. Right. It's not like a, an RPG in that sense where like this individual character will do something illegal out of context for what the faction would want, right? You're still right. delegating the task to them. Right, okay. But there's not going to be like any kind of overarching galactic system law thing either. It's basically going to be no, like No, no, it, it's too small scale for that. There's no like hmm. galactic UN established, right? Like you 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 just now reaching out into space after settling down so there's no unified code of conduct or anything like that just whatever your own personal faction believes in at this point after so many generations isolated from everyone else that's fair and are there are there going to be varied victory conditions like uh, you have the most sectors you have the best technology you have the biggest fleet i don't know that kind of thing or right like, so what are some of the victory I, I, conditions I really don't like arbitrary victory conditions where the game just ends. I, mm. I think there's mm. nothing more gutting when like you're playing a game, you're really into it, and that's like some faction you've never dealt with has reached 307 economic economy points. You lose, right? Like oh, yeah. I, I, that's I find point. those kind of conditions abhorrent. <laughs> I think that at its at its core, Remnant is a, a very war based game. And so it'll be generally like domination and elimination and conquest-related sure. victory conditions. 
Sure. Okay. That makes sense. That's kind of how things go anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the thing is, like, the problem with a lot of those conditions is to beat, like, the economy-based addition, uh, victory condition, you have to fight anyways. That's the only way to counter it because the system is so self-contained in a way that, like, you can't really influence another empire's economy generally to reduce their ability to reach that victory so you have to go to war and fight them anyways. So what's the point of having this economy victory if the only way to beat it is through fighting anyways? So that's sort that's of true. my rationale between this, right? Because if there was a way to interfere with their economy, and there is in Remnant to a degree, but you can't really get in there and you know cause so much chaos that they lose all of their economy points right that's that's just not fun to play against right if someone could just kill your entire economy in the click of a button right so but there, if the only it, way to counter it is through war what's the point of making war not the primary victory condition that's fair but can you do things to affect their economy like say they have a convoy of things going from one of their colonies to another one can you can you take down that convoy you know that well, sort of thing. The the private sector is not really up for play as far as like existing in the world in that regard. Like you can't ambush a colony, a uh, convoy, as you're saying. But you can absolutely send agents on, you know, sabotage mission programs uh, or you know clandestine operations to disrupt the internal workings. But you can't just lay a, a a trap right in the sector, and then their whole private economy goes to sh- to hell. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, because so basically the only thing that exists in the like three D world are ships and like weapons platforms and things like that. That'll right, and you can build orbital platforms and space stations for added defense and whatnot. I'm guessing. Yeah, you will be able to. Right. Still waiting on some three D models for that though. <laughs> So there is an interesting um, part of this video that just passed as we're talking. It'll probably be a little bit delayed on the stream, where a ship, part of a ship got blown out and a person was flung out. Oh, yeah. that That's just uh, part of a fun little cinematic. That, that oh, kind okay. of detail is not actually rendered. Plus, I was going to say, wow. Too. That is a fun little no, cinematic. That, that- yeah, that was just a, a little like narrative cinematic. Yeah, because when you see all that happen in like the first new Star Trek movie, you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, oh no, that's awful. <laughs> that is so super awful. Uh, so, what engine? Uh, sorry, which engine are you using for this game, or is it your own custom job? It, it's Unity. Oh, that's fair. I know, yeah. I know. I know. I might catch some flack. Unity seems to have a bit of a tarnished reputation, but. Uh, well, I'm definitely confident in it. I, I think Unity has a tarnished reputation, not because of the people, not because of people who make legitimate games from it, but because of uh, all these asset flips that people right, yeah. make and then put on the store for ninety nine cents, and it's got trading cards and a thousand yeah. achievements, and you know. So, I mean, Unity is great because, like that and Unreal Tournament, it's giving all these people like yourself access to tools they didn't have 10, 20 years ago. 
No, absolutely, you know? absolutely. So I have nothing but love for Unity, but I, I, I get why some people are like, ah, oh, Unity. It's because there's a lot mm. of garbage made on Unity, but your game clearly yeah, isn't. Absolutely, your game clearly isn't garbage. <laughs> well, thank you. Based on what I've seen so far, now how far along is the thing? Like, is it pre-alpha? Is it alpha? Like, where are you right now in this thing? Um, it's 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 hard to I, it's hard to specifically say you know as far as like a a title like that goes, but it's definitely there. Um, some of the systems don't play nice together, and that's mainly on me. And hmm. um. A lot of the art assets are not finalized. And so basically the next month, two months, it's going to be a lot of polish and bringing things together. And it should, I'm, I'm terrible at, at picking deadlines for myself, but it should, I'm very confident that it should be ready to go by September. At the oh, latest. really? As far wow. as like an early access, I'm planning an oh, early right, access right. release. I know, I know, I know. But I really feel like it's a good way to get people that are interested in the game playing it and then, you know, finding the bugs and, and hammering those out while I continue to add more content, more ship models, more more weapon platforms, things like that. Because it's very easy to add things like colony programs, for example, because behind the scenes, they're, they're just little packets of data. Whereas, uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in another game, a whole 3D animated rig character and a full 3D level would be, you know, months of work. Whereas like I could just hammer out more and more programs and more and more game events to keep the game interesting as it sits in early access. I know that people have their gripes about it and I I agree. I've been screwed. I bought DayZ super early in early access. So I know all about their struggles but that for every bad seed, there's you know the the guys that are really passionate and and doing their best to really bring it to life, and I I like to think I'm that kind of person. Well, we had a show recently on early access, and it sounds like you're doing it the right way, uh, based on what we've seen of successful early access programs, like because um, a lot of early access programs are like pre-order, like this is how we're going to fund game development. And that mm-hmm. doesn't work very well most no, of the time. No, no, you you don't want to do it like that. I no, agree. But the way you're it's doing a- it with getting feedback, sorry, with getting feedback and getting it in the hands of people to test it, and uh, for people who want to test it, knowing going in that this is an early access version, that we want feedback, that sounds like a way better, way healthier right. way to do it. <laughs> And it's not just like the the technical issues. It's like there are for not to. I, I don't want to sound too unhumble here, but it really is a little bit different compared to other games. And so you need to fine tune those things. And though I may be in love with the way the system plays out now, maybe it's too clunky or, or unintuitive for for players who aren't used to building, you know, twenty farms, and they want to. This is new and foreign, and I haven't presented it in the right way yet. That sort of thing. I think there's a lot of gameplay-related quirks that that need to be ironed out. Sure, and and getting actual real playtesters in there uh, is very helpful. <laughs> exactly. Well, I build and expand the content, right? Versus just 
leaving it there and let them be the beta testers. That is not my goal at all. Right. And especially since, as you say, a lot of the game is done. You're just using the Kickstarter for like some art touch up and whatnot. Again, exactly. instills. It, there's a lot of polish, basically. Right. It, it instills a level of confidence uh, that you might not otherwise have with a uh, an early access title. So, yeah, early access does have its detractors, but I think it it can cause more problems than it co- it can solve more problems than it causes if done right. Exactly. Know? That that's what I uh, I agree with you. And uh, you know, if you don't if you think the game's going to be abandoned, a it's not because I have a track record already of, you know, slaving away at the game when it wasn't funded, but also just don't buy into it in early access right like i i fully appreciate that point of view that it could be abandoned so i'm not going to touch it and i am happy that you're not you know i would never want someone to to um give up on their principles or their feelings on something in that regard so if you if you don't dig early access, don't don't come get it. <laughs> yeah, right. Wait for the full release, which I promise will come out. But wait and see if that's your point of view. Yeah, that's that's a really fair way to go about it. You know, I, I th- and I think if you're clear and you're communicative with the people who help you during early access, then, exactly, uh, exactly. So yeah, many no. developers, I feel, just go silent, right? <laughs> like, oh my god, or no. wait three months to give every update whereas because i feel like the vast majority of content that's missing is mostly like i said data versus you know actual physical assets by the time i release on early access um that the content updates will come super fast right adding programs and adding game events are things you can just do as you go versus being on some deadline for so many textures or whatever from an artist which takes forever there's things I can do I'm in control of, so I'll be able to develop, right? Versus waiting for a third party or, or a contracted artist or things like that. So those are the problems I'm trying to solve now with the Kickstarter to get the art done, right? And then the, the more programs and more game events will follow. That's not to say there's not already a lot in there. Don't Don't mistake me. I just want to have hundreds and hundreds of possible game events like a paradox game would have right yeah yeah say what you want about a paradox game they do not skimp when it comes to things that can happen in their games (laughs) exactly exactly but that takes a lot of time to write those little things right so it's not it's not the most pressing issue but obviously it's important but it's not game breaking to not have thousands of them at launch right Right. Sorry, I'm responding to someone in chat. So I'm no <laughs> so worries. sorry for my for my uh, slow response. But it looks like and and the and the systems can be ran. They're not just like Earth, but they could be uh, randomly generated and whatnot. Right? Oh yeah, you have full full control. And because it's done through like the majority of colonies are sectors, you can have some really dynamic, very interesting systems. Where, like, say, there's just a single super Earth in this in this solar system, you're all just fighting around one world, or you can do a Jupiter type situation, 
where there's just dozens of moons all around one central body if you don't want to do like an entire solar system. Which is, that, that just adds so much variety, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like it does. And are there going to be like natural events too? Like there's an incoming asteroid, you have to stop it from hitting your colony, that sort of thing? Like environmental uh, no, environmental effects, basically. I mean, there'll be game events like that. Uh, it won't be like physically simulated, like an actual comet is streaking through the system and you have to do something about it. But there will be natural disasters and things like that. Okay, that's great. Because I, lo- I love that sort of flavor stuff. You know, yeah, stuff that exactly. Has- that, that's, that's what I'm really trying to go for, right? Is to build that personal sort of story that you build through these little micro events and not just actual physical game events but things that happen inadvertently right like uh, someone defecting or or someone dying in battle right that's a little micro narrative event for your empire right exactly exactly and that sounds that sounds great because again so many you're, so many of these 4X games just feel so impersonal. Exactly. Know? Exactly. And the bigger in scope, the more impersonal they feel, right? right. By the time you're on Jungle World 600 and you're building <laughs> farm number 10,000, you just don't care, right? Like, this yeah. world means nothing to you. This world is just plus two for food a turn, and that's all it means to you. So I'd rather you have five colonies that mean something to you than 5,000 colonies that mean nothing to you. So that's the whole goal of the smaller scope and like the planetary system versus the galaxy at large. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that kind of hyper-focus, but still, still big enough to give you plenty of room to play around with. Because the solar mm-hmm. system, the solar system... If you think about it, our solar system is goddamn huge. Like, right, right. It's massive, massive, massive thing. And it would take, like, days to get from, like, untraditional, like, you know, rockets and whatnot. It would take days to get from one place to another. Um, right. So I really like that kind of change in scale. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, really, I'm really excited about it, actually. Because Thank it's, you. there was another game that tried to do just a single solar system. I can't remember the name of it now. It also had a Kickstarter that that failed sadly, but then they just. Um, you're talking about um, Starfighter Inc. No, no, no. Oh, that's right. That's also in a single solar system, isn't it? Yeah, and their nope. first star, their first Kickstarter failed too, right? I was thinking of a different game. Um. I was thinking of a, another kind of 4 xy strategy game that was only – it was like it was slow something. I can't remember the name of it now. But it was a strategy game but it was like just our solar system and, and just planets and that's it and not – and it was much more focused and the, – The expanse, the game. <laughs> which I'm shocked hasn't been done yet, honestly. Like why hasn't – like why can't I fly my own – how do you say it? Is it Rosinante? Is that how you say yes. it? Yeah, I can never remember. Because I've seen it in print so much, I think it's like Rockinate. You know? <laughs> I forget it's a different pronunciation. 
But uh, but yeah, I mean, the solar system is massive in size and scope, and mm-hmm. like you you abstract that, and it just loses it loses its individuality. Right, and and as soon as like you're colonizing entire planets in one go, right, that just immediately removes that personality from that planet. And so that's the goal of sectors is to make Earth feel like Earth, not like, you know, terrestrial world seven. Which I, I mean, I got to say, I, I really like the idea that especially if you can have like these different factions slash nation states on different planets, you know, mm-hmm. like doing different things. Or so, the same planet vying for, you know, exactly in between the two sort of thing. Oh man, like that could happen, right? Like you have two different factions on a planet vying for like this one really great agricultural sector, for example. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and so they can have a little battle about, I'm sure there probably is, I'm guessing there is like ground combat, but it's abstracted. So like they're fighting on the planet. Is that what's going to happen? Or is it all like orbital bombardment? It's all like orbital bombardment. That's fair. Keep it simple. It's yeah, it's just uh, it's a lot going on already in the combat. I don't want to add another dimension to it. That's fair. I mean, I mean, especially if this is real time, you got to juggle all these spinning plates at once, you right? Know? And then you add ground combat. They couldn't see anyways, so that right. would just be weird. I was, like I said, I'm not a big fan of like n- numbers versus numbers. Right? That that's just makes no uh, sense to me. Right. Watching, you know, your spreadsheet change. That's not interesting, <laughs> right? Versus... <laughs> so that's uh, exactly what I'm trying to avoid. It's like by having, you know, the Enterprise out there fighting versus ship number 72. Right. And, and that's, and so you can, and, do you name your? Can you name your ships and can you assign oh, them? Absolutely. Uh, can you, can, you assign you can them captains sh- and whatnot? Yep, and you can change like the markings and insignias on them and, and uh, the fleet colors, things like that. But you can't um, like change the loadout. There's no like ship designer or anything like that because. Of the tactical abilities, I want to keep the ships very much like a traditional RTS where it's, you know, uh, one ship counters another ship or, or this ship has special abilities. You can't modify it so it has all the best special abilities or something like that. Well, we have a question from the chat uh, from last Shogun. Can you have ships with dedicated space-to-ground weaponry or small craft? Like fighters and all um, there, there's no small crew, there's no fighters or anything like that. Um, you can absolutely have like a special bombardment-based ship that is that will be one of the available hulls for ground-based conquest. Um, there's no fighters or bombers. There probably will be drones in in that sense because all the ships basically are like big capital ships. Because of like the naming and stuff like that, right? I didn't want to have like hundreds of little frigates and and cruisers or things like that. So like everything's a big ship in that regard that means something and takes a lot of your resources, uh, like time and, and energy to build and maintain and and keep going. 
Now, some people are going to want to know this. I just realized I hadn't asked about it. Can you design ships or are they pre, uh, pre-built designs in the game? Right, like, like I, I just actually answered that, but I'll repeat Oh, did it. you? I'm um, sorry. It's okay. So it's like a traditional RTS where, where things just are and that's what you build. You can customize like right, the, okay. the name and, and the fleet colors and stuff like that. But specific ships hulls have specific special abilities that you can use and then they trigger like a long cooldown. So let's say a giant missile barrage launches like overloads your missile system and, and you launch fifty missiles instead of five at a time. But <laughs> then you can't right, but then you can't fire any more missiles for you know, 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever have you. So if you gave that ability to another ship, right, and then it had beam overload, uh, that sort of thing. I don't want to have an imbalance where you find that perfect design that just trumps everything else. I think in traditional games where you have a ship designer, you generally find like one or two meta designs that just trump everything else and you just build towards that. And so I want like specific counters to specific ships. If you have a, a beam, uh, a missile platform, then the ship that comes in with a bunch of anti-missile weapons beats it, right? So that that's the goal with that. But like okay. these, these cooldowns that trigger almost create like... I, uh, mm, I, I'm, like a supply chain sort of thing basically if you've conquered a sector and your ships have used all their abilities and they're on cooldown for five to ten real-time minutes then when new ships come in with all of their abilities you might just get blown away because you have none of your defensive abilities left and so it's very important how you manage those tactical cooldowns and it's basically oh. the tactics part of the combat. And so if you if you could have a ship with like five offensive tactical cooldowns, it kind of ruins that balance of where you're vulnerable after a big engagement because you have five, you only use two, whereas tradition, traditionally you would only have one big offensive cooldown. So that's the reason to avoid the ship designer type scenario and have more traditional RTS style units. Okay, that that makes sense because it also keeps it simpler, as well. Well, yeah, it's simpler, but there's it's also more meaningful when right. you fire off that big ability, right? And, and you have to think about what's going to happen in ten minutes before it comes back up. If I'm going to be counterattacked in that time and things like that, and I might lose control of the sector I just took because a fresh round of trips uh, ships from my enemy came in. Right, and they have all of their hull and all of their abilities ready to go, and that's another thing for having individual ships with big meaty health bars is they take time to repair, so it's not just one two volleys, the ship's gone, I have two hundred, I don't care after a five minute fight, I might have barely scraped by with twenty percent of my hull when a ship comes in with 100% of its haul, I'm doomed, right? Because that's going to be a five-minute fight I can't last in anymore. Right. So this this kind of relates to what you were just talking about. The last Shogun wants to know if there will be different like loadouts, focuses, um, missiles or drones, or any other ways to adapt a unit to a particular play style. 
So it's all based on the hull design, like a traditional RTS, but they they will have hyper specializations. Like you'll have like a missile platform and and a beam weapon platform oh, okay. and a more kinetic turret type platform. And then you have support ships that have like special cooldowns to help those ships in combat or or all ships in combat and stuff like that. So so you want to bring bring a variety of ships because like I said if you have just missile platforms or missile ships and they bring in the anti-missile counter right you're just dead. You're screwed. So yeah. you need variety in your in your fleets and and formations. Now, is there going to be any kind of concept of for your fleets, any kind of concept of supply? Like if your fleets stray too far away from one of your colonies, will they start running out so of ammo, that the, sort of thing? The way I've abstracted that is that outside of friendly territory, things like repairs and your tactical cooldowns take longer to nice. happen nice. To, to come back. Because you don't have that territory. kind of support. Right. Exactly, exactly. But you're not like sitting there managing fuel or ammunition directly. Okay, good. Again, <laughs> that, that goes back to the like high level emperor decision making where he would not care how you get the ammo, just get the ammo, right? So it's that sort of abstraction to make it more high level in your decision making. But again, these ships have big pools of health, and those repairs take time. So if you're in enemy territory and you don't have fresh ships coming in to refresh, uh, what's the the word? To, like, back up your your previous... Thank you. There it is. Reinforce your ships. Then those ships are dead in the water, right? Sitting at 20% health versus brand new ships because in enemy territory those repairs might take five ten real-time minutes so that's how i've sort of abstracted away the supply chain thing without making it super tedious but also sort of having it right right and so now we have another question moving on from there no problem will the gameplay be based thank you Will the game be based on the whole system, or will they be, say, scenarios focused on a particular planet or two? So, like, will there be, will the, I guess what he's asking is, like, will there just be a big, open, kind of sandboxy campaign? Or will you have, like, more scripted things, maybe, once in a while? Or will there be a mix? Um, so, it, it's almost like Civilization. There will be, the map you get is the map you play out on. You can customize that map as we discussed a little bit earlier where like you can have just like one super earth with 20 sectors or you can have earth plus the moon or jupiter plus 10 planet uh, moons and asteroids or a whole planetary system that's entirely up to you at the start of the game how your system's generated and how big or, or small or the, the content content that you want within it and then i'd, I'd very much like to do focus scenarios like Civ has where it's like you take over this faction at a certain point in time and here's right. what you know what's happening beat it right like I definitely want to have those that's a but good for the that's most a good part, model yeah yeah for the most part it's just that one map play it there's not a there's not like a huge overarching campaign or anything like that that sounds like the uh <laughs> that's that sounds like um that sounds like a good way to do it. Um, we have another question. 
What's the pace of the game and how heavy is it on micromanagement? We did talk about this a little bit in the beginning, but... That's fine. I'm, I'm happy to answer it again. Right. Um, so the pace is... I mean, it's not super APM intensive actions per minute, like a, a StarCraft game or anything like that. You're making... Out of combat, you're making fairly slow-paced decisions depending on how big your colony, their, your empire is, and how many colonies you have running. Programs on colonies take like five to ten real-time minutes to finish. So if your colony has four to six slots, you know you're making a decision every f- three to four minutes on just that colony program set up, and then you have you know game events and 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 other agent related tasks going on so it's fairly slow paced as far as that is concerned it's not even though you might have five colonies going you're still only making a decision every 30 seconds you know you're not going to be taxed in that regard when it starts to get a bit taxing is during combat when you have multiple ships fighting when to use the cooldowns and if you're fighting on multiple fronts at the same time, that's a lot of decisions to make and a lot of places to go. So if you're a very slow-paced, low-APM player, you'll want to play more strategically in when and where you engage or or how many ships you bring and just always try to pick like an overwhelming fight where second-to-second to second decision-making isn't that important. But it's it's definitely not trying to be you know a 200 APM click fest like a like a high level StarCraft game or anything like that. You you will definitely be comfortable just playing with just a mouse and just making small decisions as they come up. But that as sounds... we discussed, I really like your option of of being able to pause the game as a choice at the start. Yeah, because I think. I would try if if you gave me that option. I would try both and see which one I like better. I'd probably play a couple of games of each right. and see which one I liked better. And this is primarily yeah. going to be single player, so it's not that right. There's no multiplayer at all. I'm guessing. There's no multiplayer right now. There's a lot oh. of physics that gets simulated, and so it's not an easy problem for me to solve sure. as, a, as a solo developer. Sure. Even like big AAA games have problems <laughs> solving all this ongoing oh, no. physics second I'm, to second. No, I'm totally fine with it being solely single player. 4X games don't always work well in multiplayer, you know? Right, and, right. And, 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 and it is very role-playing centric and, yeah. and self-narrative centric. So yeah. I that's where my focus is, is making that emotional connection during the game. But I'd like to get multiplayer, obviously, but it's it's not on the table as of for the September release, not at all. Right. Um, so how much work are you putting into the AI? Shogun just brought up the AI, so there's so got to be a AI, lot of work being put into that. I see the AI very differently, generally, to other games, I would say. I'm not okay. trying to make the AI play the game in the traditional sense of having all of the same player options and doing what the player does. What I'm really trying to do is get the player, the AI interacting with the player often and, and 
creating little mini narratives like we've talked about earlier with like the Borg hunting down Jean-Luc Picard and stuff like that. So it's it's not trying to play the game and just do its own thing and never, you know, never talk to you. Like sometimes you play a game of Civ and by the end you finally meet that one faction that's just been doing whatever. So I'm trying to avoid that scenario as much as possible. So the AI cheats ruthlessly, uh, (laughs) but it's it's for the purpose of making the experience better for the player rather than just having dumb AI that's trying to play the game and you never feel engaged or or they make really dumb decisions. Like when you're, it's the worst when an AI has been like your buddy for 4,000 years in Civ and then just, you know, the numbers flip and they're, they're, betray you out of nowhere after thousands of years of prosperity oh, God, so I'm trying to, yeah it's it's arbitrary right i hate those like numeric arbitrary mm-hmm. decision making and so the ai has like personalities behind it where like this ai will try to buddy you up with you and this guy will try to bu- bully you and and this guy will specifically betray you after trying to buddy you and, and so i'm trying to create more of those personalities where there's intersections of interaction between them rather than just vanilla trying to play the game as like a player would because that just doesn't work like if triple a studios can't solve that problem I'm as a single developer, I'm not going to try to solve that problem. So I'm approaching it differently to avoid that problem entirely. And I hope that the experience feels like they're playing the game, but aren't necessarily, you know, crunching the numbers like you are as a human. I like that. I like that a lot because so many games have AI that is just like, I won't say the name of the game, but it's like, it friended me and declared war on me back and forth every turn for 10 turns. Right, right. Because the numbers, just like whatever in its head, are shifting over and yeah. over. And it's the worst. And it pulls you out of the game. You it realize really you are playing really a does. game and that this AI is just stupid. <laughs> you just get frustrated and it's no fun. And I think that engaging with the player is much more interesting than beating the AI necessarily. It's fun to lose to the AI. It's fun to beat the AI, but sometimes it's not rewarding to beat or lose to the AI because you just feel cheated in that regard that the numbers went this way instead of that way. So this guy betrayed you. Right. And, and so many games just get that wrong. It's, right, it's really and they're like giving you technology that helps you win the game because you know the, you've offered them enough gold for it and, and stuff like that. There's so many ways to game bad AI that it just at at the high difficulty levels that's the only way to win because it just so cheats so r- ruthlessly that you're not even really like playing and having fun in this experience anymore. You're literally gaming the system for the purpose of beating the game. And that's exactly what I want to avoid with Remnant. No, that's totally fair. Well, we should start wrapping up because I'm I'm losing consciousness. So <laughs> No problem, no problem. We've been here for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, so folks, the um the game is Remnant. It is currently in Kickstarter. It's in Kickstarter for what, twelve more days? As we record uh, this. It ends I think? on the twenty fourth, yeah. So yeah. 
So 12 more days as we record this on the 12th of June. And um, and uh, it's really looking fascinating. Again, it's looking to be different than just about any 4X that's come before it. And if, if the idea of a Star Wars Rebellion-inspired 4X gets you excited, then you need to back this. Because uh, I'm excited. And uh, I can't wait to see what the early access version will bring Hopefully, like you said, around September. That's the goal, yeah. So uh, I want to thank you for joining us, folks. Just a couple of quick programming notes before we wrap up. We are not doing a stream this Thursday because uh, a few of our people are going to be going to MST3K Live. Or is it Rift Tracks Live? I yeah, think it's, it's Rift Tracks Live. We're doing Space Mutiny. Oh, God. I, I I wish I could I wish I could be going to that, but yeah, uh, that sounds like it's going to be great though. Especially if they come up with new names like Blast Hard Cheese. Or, I can't even remember. Big all McLarge, the- dude. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Roll Fizzle Beef <laughs> with Santa Claus as your admiral. Oh God, that movie. Oh 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 oh. <laughs> with all the Battlestar Galactica stock footage you could handle. Dude, that was the craziest thing that I think just goes completely unmentioned of just all of this like stock Battlestar Galactica footage is just all over the place. I, I, Meanwhile, I, the inside of it is it's a, it's, a, it's a beer ref- a it's a beer bre- brewery? it's a brewery or refinery or something. <laughs> I mean, Star Trek kind of did that when they made their a brewery their engine room. It's like what. I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> I was that very confused. So dumb. It was so weird. It's so. It's probably my least favorite thing about where, that movie. Where are they? Where is this in the ship? Where is this in relationship to the bridge? Is, like I'm is, so confused. Is the Enterprise a TARDIS? It looks so much bigger on the inside than it does on the outside. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, we're not going to have a stream this Thursday. And next Tuesday, our podcast is going to be a morning show because our guest is in England. We're going to be talking about the currently in alpha uh, MMO Starfighter Infinity, which I I am super excited about because I I, game is really shaping up to be something amazing. Uh, So I can't wait to talk to the developer about that. So uh, I want to thank everyone. We had a lot of listeners tonight. Thank you, everyone, for listening and for your questions. Uh, thank and you. S- Sorry, I was going to say thanks, Scott, really, because I'm, I'm really excited yeah. to see uh, where this goes. Like, Yeah. See the finished product. Thank yeah. you. It's only a few more months. I'll be showing off more, too, in the, in the next coming months now that we've hit that Kickstarter goal for audio equipment. So I'll be able to record some developer videos with nice, crisp, clear video. Uh, oh, Nice. Nice. Well, keep keep us in the loop because we want to know. I will. Thank you so much. And as always, thank thank you to our everyone that watched. Yes, and as always, thank you to our Patreon subscribers for keeping the uh, lights on around here. We couldn't do this without you. So thank you so much. Uh, Have a great night, everyone, and we will see you later. Bye bye.